Hi everyone, it's Evan Hodges again, and wow, you're back for episode two. That's cool in ways I cannot even articulate. Uh, in this episode, I have a chat with J. Mark Accento, who was inspired to start his own production company to help bring attention to the works of minority creators. Uh, he has some really excellent perspective on making representation instead of waiting for it to happen, and what it's like to be a creator of something that people have started to create fan works for now. His biggest project right now, which you should go check out, is an actual play podcast called Tabletop for the End of the World. You'll hear more about it in the interview, but it's a wonderful project, uh, really talented and very earnest creators, and it, you can find it on all major podcatchers. Also, you can follow Tabletop for the End of the World on Twitter, and Instagram at T-F-E-W-Cast, that's T-F-U-Cast. There's uh, even a way for you to get a character named after you. I'll put it in the show notes, all the details. Thank you again for being here. Let's get into it. and whatever you would like to be known as, whether it is a alias or a real-world name or what, what have you. Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me. Um, hi, everyone. My name is J. Mark Accento. You can call me J. Mark. He, him, his pronouns. Um, I come, I'm the CEO of We Are Heroes Productions, LLC, and the showrunner for Tabletop for the End of the World, uh, which I can tell you all about at the end but we're uh we're, we got endorsed by jenny d which is really cool so oh cool. i did not know that that's very cool i have I, I have to admit i've only listened to uh i think the first three episodes of tabletop for the end of the world but it's just just so you know what's up listeners it's an actual play but it's got like a like a frame narrative like a post-apocalyptic meta narrative so the characters are mm -hmm playing characters while they're playing characters and they're playing D and D in a post-apocalyptic yeah. setting. Yeah. We play character. We I'll play a character in your character so you can act while you act, you know, just that good. old yeah. Wow. That's hit my ride vibes. <laughs> that's such an old meme that they didn't even have the word meme when that was a thing. When the, I put some thing on your thing so you can thing while your thing that, that yeah, that's, wow. that's what I'm here for. That's what this the is about, right? This is, a, this is an ancient day of memeing podcast. Am I wrong? <laughs> I mean, I guess a little bit to a, to some extent. Yeah, this is fan fiction is good, actually, where we talk about how fan fiction is good. Actually, we only talk about fan fiction and how it's good, and we don't talk about anything else ever Nothing. at all. Um, Nothing. We can't dive into other topics surrounding fan fiction. It's just this fan fiction. It's good, actually, and then any any other topics surrounding that we can't go in depth. That's, that's the rules Evan has given me, so a lot of yeah. yes and no. Yeah. Uh, well, the part of the reason I was excited that you volunteered to be on this podcast, J-Mark, is because you are an internet content creator. You are an internet creative. And, I, I uh, am. Sup, millennials? Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is what all of us do for a living. I don't know if you were aware. Anyone under... 30 years old only exists on the internet. They don't have real jobs. They don't make real money. They don't have health insurance. They only make content for the internet. Um, yeah, I'm just here. I'm just here struggling until my TikTok account I don't make. I don't have takes off. Oh you know? boy, I'm too old for TikTok. This is I'm dating myself. Yeah, I re yeah. <laughs> I, re I realized that I was too old. So Eliza and I were in our late 20s. We're, we turned 30 in a couple of years, and Eliza started med school. Um, and a lot of med school students are in their early 20s, and the sheer judgment I got from these med school kids for not for, for not being an active Instagram user and mainly using Facebook, like, hit me to my core. I was like, it's only a four-year difference between us. 
why are you treating me like this? Yeah, I have a housemate who uh, is very cool, uh, and they are only four years younger than me. But the the seismic difference in our high school experiences in terms of like internet culture and media is is just mind blowing. So these kids don't know new grounds. Yeah. They don't know the struggle. Oh boy. They they don't they don't know the struggle of tr- of taking a full day to download an image and then having it ruined because somebody called somebody on the phone. Yeah, oh man, <laughs> ding ding. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I, with my last guest Emma, we we were talking a little bit about uh, like how internet creators are interacting with fans and kind of the expectations associated with the internet and being able to uh, like have a direct line of communication between people making stuff and the people consuming the stuff. And then also a sort of direct pipeline between the people consuming the stuff and then going on to make the stuff, whether officially or unofficially, whether it's fan fiction or actual fiction. Mm. So can you tell me to as far back as you would like to share about kind of your your fandom journey, your journey consuming media, and then your journey to becoming a producer of content on the internet. Yeah, I love that. So just to start out the gate, um, this is all contextual, right? So obviously at the time I was a wee 10 year old boy, um, even younger. Shoot, I was like six or seven. None of us were free Um, from media, even in our earliest days. And I did not, I did not know this individual was a turf. Um, so know that this is going to be solely interpreted by the, the young mind and the growth I experienced as a kid. Um, so for me, my interaction with media and fandom, um, just starting with literature first off. Um, as a kid, I hated reading, which is ironic as an adult because I got a degree in English and now write all the time on my on the side. Um, but the book that ironically got me into loving reading wasn't Magic Treehouse, so that's a bomb series or Bailey School for Kids, or whatever. It, it was uh, the first Harry Potter book. And that is what got my journey going into the concept and idea of creating worlds. And that then translated um, into other mediums as I got older, of really appreciating the storytelling behind television and um, animation, or anime specifically, and video games. Um, huge huge video game kid growing up because i'm a military brat so my dad is still active duty in the navy i moved a lot growing up and so my sole companion outside of my brother growing up was um video games and television because i moved a lot and making friends was challenging and so what got me into now being a, a producer and running my own production company saying ceo feels so weird because you know <laughs> capitalism is evil but like that's just the title I have. Um, we don't make money, y'all. Please don't cancel me for being a CEO. I, 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 I am heavily in debt Filthy with my capitalist. production company. There is yeah. no, there, there is no money being made. If anything, I'm just going more and more broke, uh, <laughs> trying to make this thing. Um, but the the turning point for me into making this specific company, because I've had multiple startups through the years of just trying to do things that it involved my particular interest um, but specifically we are heroes productions came from uh, i attended a panel called totally awesome asians by patrick michael strange uh, who's now a really really good friend of mine and during the panel one of the major themes discussed was if we as asians and as bipoc want to see ourselves in front of the camera then we need to put ourselves behind camera first we need to be the people in the room where it happens making making the art and creating the characters for there to be representation and like a lot of my journey in theater film what have you was always in front you know i wanted to be on stage i wanted to be on camera Um, and i still greatly enjoy that but i had to cultivate this joy in creation for itself even if i don't ultimately end up being the one on screen or on the podcast or anything and so a few like a year or so after that panel like that really resonated with me i found all of my short stories i wrote as a kid and all of the lead characters were white guys and as a young filipino boy i didn't realize how problematic that was 
Um, and then that led me to examine a lot of my favorite pop culture I really enjoyed consuming and realizing that, like, wow, yeah, a lot of these lead characters are straight white men um, or straight white women or just, like, a lot of white people. And, I mean, I'm, I'm now at a point, I, I remember at the time I thought extremely angry about it, but I'm now at the point where I'm like, this doesn't invalidate the joy I cultivated from the experiences I had growing up, but it doesn't mean that moving forward. And if I can be, if I can create a platform, because that's the goal of my production company is I want to get to a point where we're making money so that I can then use it as a space to encourage other BIPOC, LGBTQIA, different body types, different religious backgrounds to come and tell their stories, um, which hopefully one day we'll do that because I, I don't believe in working with people for free unless they're really gung-ho and passionate and don't mind. So I generally don't reach out to people like, hey, do you have an artsy thing? Do you want to slap my production company's like logo on it? And then we can, and then you could put it up on our platform. Um, but hopefully eventually um, it can get to a point where we can help be the producers behind stories like that. That's really cool. That's a really also a testament to how existing on the internet and having this sort of like free flow of communication between people allows you to have more direct contact with these people and like build a community with people who otherwise you might not have encountered you may have yeah. been trapped in this white guy bubble for a lot longer and not had this sort of power to self-examine without sort of the, the the free flow of communication that we have thanks to sort of modern fan culture and the yeah. the medium of the internet it's a it's a bit of a double-edged sword for sure and also just to clarify for your listeners i, I don't remember if i said it, i am filipino like full-blown 100 percent filipino american um, parents were born in cebu city so I, I am not white though i did have a white man pop culture bubble as everybody um growing up as millennials did and beforehand just that was the nature of the beast um but yeah th this freeform direct communication with fans can be a huge double-edged sword and I find that as a producer of content, it's really important for me to be able to separate valid criticism with things that are just like kind of BSE. Um, and what are what are things that I can take and really embody and make sure I, I do better moving forward? And what are things that I'm just like, this is just somebody raging about hot nonsense. Um, case in point, in my podcast, I, I play a post-apocalyptic version of myself and I'm very cis, but I actually play a non-binary tiefling. Uh, for the podcast a year before production like before we even recorded the first episode um evan i think i reached out to you too i literally reached out to all of my non-binary gender fluid and trans friends and i was like hey so i ain't got money to hire lgbtq people and nobody seems interested in this weird ass project i'm doing which is fair so i guess i'll play that character i want to do this properly <laughs> And it just hit up everyone I knew to be like, what are things that you hate about representation? What are some good examples of representation that you've seen? And that's the, I think that's the bare minimum that anybody should do is that if you don't have the finances to hire those people who represent those groups, at least make sure you're doing them justice by reaching out to people and having those conversations. Um, some good feedback I've gotten on the podcast, though there is reasoning for it, is I have a lot of quote unquote multilingual people on in the meta narrative, the dystopian narrative. Uh, there's a Spanish character. There's somebody who speaks with a Russian accent. I've gotten a lot of questions like they don't speak like actual, dual, like people with multiple languages in their belt. Like they they sound like somebody trying. And I was like, oh, you're thinking now. Like really think about that because I swear everything I'm doing is very intentional. I'm not just being a guy who's like, oh, they're Spanish because we needed a Spanish representation here. Like there's very specific reasons why everybody speaks and behaves and performs. But, We're trying then, very hard, hand, actually. Get... We're trying on purpose, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then at the other hand, I also sometimes get messages from people who are like, this is fucking stupid. I'm like, cool, bro. That's Good feedback. Good feedback. Constructive. That's constructive. I, I'm not going to care. Or sometimes I get people who... Um, it's it's not a lot. I, I've been very lucky. It, it could be a factor of just like we haven't quite blown up, blown up yet. We've been doing this for two years. Um, but a really cool side positive of this is um we do have a discord and it's just full of like a shit ton of gabies who feel validated and seen i think one of the best messages i ever got was from um he was in eighth grade at the time was a filipino trans boy who
who direct messaged us on Instagram and was like, hey, I'm not out to my family yet, but Twilight makes me feel very valid. So I really like your podcast. And like, that was the most I talked to that kid. But that was so validating in that, like, one, I was representing them well, but also that, like, I think the big thing for fandom communities is that there can be extremely toxic ones and extremely positive ones. And there's a lot of conversations lately of, like, oh, the fandom's toxic, the fandom's toxic. But, like, no, the the opus is on the creator to create a space to make sure, like, they, the fans know what the creator is expecting out of their fans. And that's something that's very unique to modern day with the internet existing, is that it used to be, you know, you make content, it gets sent off to the world, Trekkies go buck wild and love your <laughs> shit. Um, and all the all the women and women of color leading that charge, like, more power to you. But now with the, with the internet existing, like, there is, like you said, that more clear line of communication. And as producers, it's our responsibility to be like, this is what we believe in, this is the kind of community we're cultivating. And if you want to be a part, like, if you want to be a fan of the product, go ahead. But if you want to be in the fan community, you have to understand. And one thing that we never shied away from with my organization is I, I always tell everybody who works with us, like, just, you know, the, the umbrella, like, Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter, women's rights and autonomy should be respected, like, all of the things. And I, and I, I tell them every time, like, feel free to talk about that on your personal social media because I don't feel comfortable censoring you about those things. If you have beliefs I don't believe in, then we'll have a conversation and then you might not be working with us. But I haven't had that issue so far, which is great. Um, but that is something that, I mean, we don't shy away. I mean, every year we donate a percentage of our profits to support some cause. We don't make much. It's like 13 <laughs> bucks. But it's still something that I wanted to set from the get-go um, and like not give a shit if I'm losing more money on it because I would rather set that mentality early on than make it seem like, oh, well, now it's hip to be woke, so I'm going to go do it now that I have the money. Like, no, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, I know that there's, uh, there's a lot of discourse on the internet about how to represent queer people in media. And this, I haven't, like, mentioned this in previous episodes, so if you're not coming here from Ending Pending, I'm a trans man. I'm a binary trans man. Oh, shit, did I just um, out you? I'm so sorry. No, 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 that's fine. It was going to oh. come up in conversation anyway. Do not feel bad about it. I'm not, okay. I'm not like, secretive about it on this podcast. Oh, hashtag cancel Jmart. <laughs> oh, no. No. What's happened? No, I, the, I have the power to edit that out if I want, and I'm not gonna. It, it's fine. Okay. Like d this is this is the beauty of pre-recording things. I, this is why you know I don't do like live conversations. Um, anyway, there's a lot of like there's a lot of discourse on the internet, as there are about so many things. But uh, the sort of sentiments started out with. A, a very good concept and that is that we should give queer people room to tell their stories we should platform queer people we should give them the opportunity to tell stories about their experiences and about queerness that's a good sentiment and i think unfortunately sometime in the last several years that has kind of gotten morphed into uh only queer people can tell queer stories you're not allowed to tell queer stories as a straight person you don't have the authority to do that you're not you're not representative of the lgbt community or even more specifically if you're not trans you're not allowed to tell trans stories even if you are queer uh i disagree with that sentiment 100 percent. i think it is much better to have more representation in media than to have perfect immaculate representation in media um i think most cishet creators right now who are coming at representing queer characters are making a good faith attempt to accurately represent queer characters and i do think that they have an obligation to do what you did to like put in some work and make sure that they're not doing something outright offensive but yeah. uh, i would much rather there be more queer people in media and have it be like not 100% perfect, then have virtually no representation in media because only queer people are allowed to do it. 
Yeah, also... I think it's important that people are coming from a place of trauma too, right? Mm -hmm. Is that like because you haven't had a seat at the table for so long and because that's not the norm to cast trans or queer actors at all in general, let alone to cast them for roles where they're represented. I, I, I understand the feeling of like until we have a until we're at a place where it's normal for LGBTQIA actors and actresses to be cast in things and also for those characters to exist, I understand the need for that exclusivity of like, you literally turn down hiring a trans actor to play this trans character for a straight one who gets cast. It's like when ScarJo gets cast in anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, yo, <laughs> there are Asian actresses, let's go. <laughs> Hollywood's favorite Asian, Scarlett Johansson. You yo, know. she's my yeah. favorite Asian, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, I, I understand that. I definitely understand that uh, people have been dealing with this sort of blunt instrument of media misrepresentation for their entire lives, and it's exhausting. But I think the pushback against creators creating queer characters can also be very harmful because I, I know of examples among my friends group where... So this is this is a good point to bring fan fiction into it actually. Yeah, fan fiction is an area where where people explore their identities a lot. Everybody gay it's, in fanfic, I love it. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> and like so straight people write queer characters in fan fiction, cis people write trans people in fan fiction, trans people write cis people in fan fiction, and I think that's really good. I think it's a good even if you are not uh queer I think it's good to like live in that headspace, to do your best to try to get into a queer character's headspace. And I think fan fiction is an important area where like there's really no pressure. Uh, it's of course on the internet, it's for people to consume, but it's not like a million dollar production where if you get it wrong, you're harming millions of people. It's, it's kind of a safe space for people to explore those ideas and the concept of identity and it's also the avenue through which people come to a lot of conclusions about their own identity so i have known people who have written stories about queer people and then through the process of creating these characters or like creating these worlds or like living in these spaces it helps them to realize that they are queer and have been queer all along, and this was their space to explore that idea. I know people who thought that they were cis when they started writing slash fanfiction, and through the process of like living with these characters and like understanding gender and sexuality, they've come to the conclusion that they are trans. So, coming at people for having those spaces to explore is bad it's 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 yeah it's definitely not constructive to approach people with a hostile attitude about the characters that they're representing in the the media that they write for free on the internet for public consumption that they're genuinely trying their best to make good yeah i've seen people online who are from the get genuinely angry when people write fan fiction about like why are you making these characters gay they're not gay write fresh characters i'm like this is just the person writing slash fiction for free where on they the made, internet for their for own free on the internet. enjoyment they, they made they made every character trans on harry potter as a fuck you like let them live <laughs> no one this doesn't impact anybody <laughs> I'm interested to know, as uh, an Asian man, how you feel about white people writing people of color, specifically Asian people, since I'm sure that that's something that you can comment on. Yo, The Last Airbender is fucking fire, dude. <laughs> <laughs> my, my thing, my thing it, it just comes down to respect, right? And it doesn't mean that there can't be room for growth. Um, speaking of The Last Airbender, and let's talk fandoms, um, huge fan, love that series. I also loved Legend of Korra, probably one of the few people who did, but Janet Varney is a treasure, and I will die on that hill. <laughs> um, uh, Janet Varney, for those of you who don't know, voices Korra. Um, but 
but yeah, so they recently opened the like a separate studio for Avatar um, at Nickelodeon. Like they have their own studio space now. And my whole thing is like, great, they've grown. It's gone from just being this idea by a couple of white people who did their research, which I'm so grateful for. Like the deep cultural understanding around it is so important. Um, but now that they have their own studio, like hire some Asian creators. You know, it's a story about us. Um, not saying Asian people are a monolith, or let alone that like every Asian person is represented, but it's still good to know that like there's a space now. Hire us, put us in the drawing seat, put us in the writers' room. Um, that's really important. But I think that if anyone is launching a story and giving it their damnedest, then like as long as they're doing well, let's go for it. That not to say that I don't think production companies shouldn't make an earnest effort to find creators especially in the modern modern day and i say modern day in a weird sense that like our society culturally has progressed so quickly mm-hmm. like in 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 the last 20 years i would say that culturally we have progressed much more quickly than we have in the last 50 even it's just been so rapid because of the internet because of like things being out there and people becoming more aware and getting more information so like like ten, 10 years now is like a minute as opposed to a year yeah it's, um culturally speaking it is deeply weird because and, it's it, i'm sorry not to interrupt <laughs> you but it's no, it's no. not only making ideas more available but also crystallizing communities around certain ideas and that can be both good and bad it, it definitely can yeah. uh amplify good ideas and also amplify bad ideas <laughs> Well, you know, I've always wanted a 5G chip in me, which is why I got yeah. vaccinated. But that's besides the point. <laughs> they call that uh, cyberpunk. But, but yeah, that's so what like, cyberpunk is. <laughs> that's what cyberpunk is, right? Getting a vaccine? Yeah. I'm so cyberpunk. Um, but now that we have this world where these conversations are starting to happen more often, I do think it's the responsibility of production companies to open the door to having Asian Americans at the seat to write Asian I mean, one thing that's happened recently, uh, Marvel has been hiring like a lot of um, Filipino creators. And so if you look at any modern Marvel comics, like randomly, there'll just be a reference to the Philippines, which is exciting for me um, just to see that. And and having that representation, you don't realize how much it means to you until you get it. And I think that's important. It's It's not the lack of. It's not the existing in a space and not knowing it and being like, well, I would like to have it, but this is the world as it is. And I remember the most poignant moment I had where I literally cried. Um, are you a fan of Steven Universe? I have not seen Steven Universe. I am aware of it through okay. cultural osmosis. I see a lot about it on the internet. Uh, but I sure. did not have whatever channel or streaming service it was on, I did not have when it was a, a thing, when it was like a cultural phenomenon. So I just kind of missed that boat yeah. and I have not jumped back on <laughs> Oh, no worries. Um, there's a character on Steven Universe named Lars, and he plays as kind of like would-be bully. I say that because Steven is just a dumpling and do- and just doesn't get offended. Um, but there's a moment where uh, so Lars works at a donut shop and he does his own baking on the side. And there's a moment where he makes a Filipino uh, baked good called ube. And literally, when that scene happened, and I didn't get into Steven Universe until years later. Also, like the show was already done. But when he made ube. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. He made ube. And then he goes, yeah, it's my mom's recipe. I legit, like, my uh, my my partner came in the room. And they're like, are you crying? And I was like, oh, shit, I'm crying. Just because, like, I've never had that in an animated show before. And I'm so, not crying about the ube. I, You're crying about the ube. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not, I mean, I cry a lot more than, I cry a lot more than, when, than they do. But, but yeah, so it, it's just... And, and that stuff will happen more often if more people who look like me are at the writer's table. I don't want to block white people from writing our stories as long as they do it well, but I also know that if we want them told the very best they can, it's always better to have the person from that community telling that story. Is my long-winded answer as I've been doing all day. <laughs> That's what podcasting <laughs> is all about, J-Mark. You, get, you just talk for a long time. That's the whole deal. Um, I think that's a compelling argument about, uh, like, queer people in media also. Like, you're always going to get uh, more nuance if queer people are writing queer characters. So I, I still I stand by my statement. Like, I agree with you that, that uh, it's, it's still better to have 
<clears throat> like good faith attempts at representation than only having a specific group write characters in that group all the time. But uh, yeah, I do agree with you that it's it's no matter what group you're talking about, it's always going to be new, more nuanced and uh, deeper and more meaningful if you can get people who are a member of that group. Um, so here's a, a million dollar question. Has, has anybody written tabletop for the end of the world fan fiction yet? And are you aware yes. of it? Oh boy. Okay. I'm, I'm yes. desperate to hear Very your reaction so. to it. I mean, not like the, spe- I'm not is... asking you to call out specific writers or anything, but just your reaction to this yes, space you occupy in the public consciousness now where people are writing fan fiction about your, your creative work. Yeah, yeah. So we've had a f- we've had a few things. Um, we've had some OCs that people have made, which is always exciting. Um, and then we've also had some stuff based off the characters. Um, we have a very f- infamous character on our podcast named Mayor Bucket. And uh, long story short, he's a walking poop joke. Oh. Um, hmm. And we had a fan named Mo, um, who's a cosplayer. She she wrote. Um, a a fanfic called Buckets Mayor Bucket's Great Day or something, um, and it was like a short little script. And we actually had our DM, um, who obviously voices all the NPCs in the in the D and D world. Mayor Bucket's a D and D character, not the meta character. To clarify, um, but we actually had him record it, so it's on our podcast that people can listen to this great fanfic the fan wrote. Um, <laughs> we ha- we had another fan uh, goes by the name Quirky Duckling from from over the pond uh she's british and she wrote and and fully audio produced an original um piece featuring somebody living over like because our our story is based in in like what was once america and so she was like oh there's a blood ocean oh there's an actual like europe possibly and so she completely recorded and just sent to me like hey i made this i hope you like it and it's better than our thing which is like well shit <laughs> just the audio production that's and... not even that's not even unique there are so many fan fictions that i have and this is in no way dissing your no 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 not at all <laughs> podcast i'm just saying there are so many uh fan fictions that get deeper into something than the the original thing creator ever mm-hmm. thought to there are so many fan fictions that are genuinely better than the the media they are inspired by yeah absolutely um and then we also have um um some ocs uh, oc cosplays so we're running a cosplay contest right now until the 16th i'm literally putting my own money into cash prizes for people just because i wanted i wanted people to get financial support for work they're putting in for something uh, we've had some people make some OCs with like complete character backstories that like flesh out the world. I'm like, wow, this is really fucking good. Um, so it, it's been just, it's weird having people make content apart from your content, but also weirder how much more thought they put into your content than sometimes you feel like you have. <laughs> Where they're like, here's more about your world. And I'm like, well, that's canon now, obviously, because it's amazing. So I'm just <laughs> going to keep that in here. Um, but some sometimes what I really want to do, and I, I'm still trying to figure out the, the ethical nature of that, is like have references to fan fiction people have created if it fits into our world. Um, as like a nice little fan shout out, but also just like it's super good. Um, we we had one person write a fan character that I literally wrote into the podcast, um, just because I thought it was like cool as shit. <laughs> yeah, we've we've fully uh, smudged out the line between fan fiction and original fiction and canon and non-canon media nowadays. It's and this is true even for uh, like much larger properties like the. Uh, from a certain point of view, Star Wars anthology is really just fan fiction about like moments in Star yep. Wars. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but yeah, it's they. I mean, they don't sell it that way. Obviously, that's not what's on the dust yeah. yet. But that's that's very clearly what it is, and it's from people like I, I've. Uh, I think there's a second anthology now. I only read the first one, and Griffin McElroy's story in there was definitely the best one and they were like oh this is just celebrity fan fiction corner is what we're doing here celebrity writer fan fiction corner i have no problem with that at all 
Um, it was kind of like how Brennan Lee Mulligan wrote this whole thing about how Lord of the Rings makes a lot more sense if you accept that it's just a D&D campaign that went horribly wrong. Um, I don't know if you saw that Twitter thread. Genius. <laughs> I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I mean, it's it's kind of the inverse, obviously, because D&D was based on Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So I, I get what they're saying, but like... Yeah, I, I guess the reason that we have all of those specific tropes and characters and misadventures in D&D is, in fact, because Lord of the Rings did it first. Yep. D&D is an elaborate fan work of Lord of the Rings. A fan work. Hot take. Fan work Hot take. Of a, Cancel me on the a internet. A fan, wor- fan work of a fan work with more fan works of those fan works. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. It, what, what's it called? This, it's the singularity of fan works when you think about it. Because, like, you have people making D&D content based off D&D, which is based off another thing, and then other people are making fan content off the fan content people are already making, off the fan product, off the thing. So it's just... <laughs> yeah, well, then then you also factor in, like, the Forgotten Realms uh, novels, yes. which, especially, specifically, the ones by Ari Salvatore from, uh, like, the uh... 80s are a really painfully obvious ripoff of the Lord of the Rings. And, like, it's it's become a, a, what's it called? A Gordian knot of, like, how do the thing, where, where, what comes from what and where do the things, where do the things intersect? This is not, like, a new problem, though. It's a more complex. Oh, yeah. I shouldn't even say problem. It's not, it's not a problem. And it's not new. It's just become more complex because we have more forms of media and we have access to more media. And so we're able to see the things that are referential to other things. Whereas uh, like when people writing people writing Bible fan fiction in the 1100s, uh, that was just what you did. You know, you just write, you just fill in the gaps between what's happening to to paul the apostle and you write it in an illuminated manuscript and then that becomes a a important cultural text all of all of modern civilization is about interpreting media so you also are just interpreting media don't get too uppity about it yeah you know interpret that media it means something to you that's great uh also you know lord of the rings means something to a lot of people. <laughs> i think I think one of the worst things that I had that I came to realize as I got into deep media interpretation just as an adult was like, shit, my English teacher was right. <laughs> I spent so many of my public school years in English class was like, why can't this whale just be a whale? I was like, nope, there's a deeper meaning to it. So that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, the, the argument, the whale is just a whale, and also the argument the whale is a symbol of obsession are not mutually exclusive statements because of course every person who in who consumes a media Mm -hmm. is going to understand it in a different way the author writing it understood it in a different way than you understand it as you're consuming it so media interpretation is genuinely less about the media and more yes. about the person consuming the it, media yes. and that's always that's always been true that's not uh that's not unique to ancient texts it's not unique to modern literature and uh there's a lot of dudes on the internet who are only just discovering this as a concept like media interpretation i saw a twitter exchange about uh uh godzilla versus kong Ooh recently tell me more uh, where well it was a the the i think the first tweet was actually about kong skull island and how it's about vietnam uh there was somebody who made a a comment on like a funny it was a funny death scene in kong skull island and somebody pointed out like oh this also represents like the futility of the war in vietnam like this guy died so pointlessly and it was tragic and uh, this whole movie is about guys dying pointless. It literally takes place during Vietnam. They used Apocalypse Now promo posters as inspiration for the Kong Skull Island posters. You know, it's, it's not subtle. Like, the references to Vietnam are not subtle. And so this person pointing out, like, yeah, this is actually, like, 
you know, interesting in that it represents the futility of this battle against this giant monkey. And uh, they got dunked on for that. <laughs> Everyone's like, it's just a stupid movie about a giant monkey, you dumbass. Then that spun off into a conversation about, like, Godzilla versus Kong, and there's this whole camp of people like, it's just a dumb movie about a lizard and a monkey, dumbass. And then there's another camp of people that's like, Godzilla has a lot of cultural significance in that he represents the threat of nuclear annihilation. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, it's literally right in the text. He's got nuclear breath, you know? And like, it's both, guys. It is a silly movie about a monkey and a lizard, but it's also an allegory and it's also referencing other cultural touchstones it's it's both you can have both yeah you can you can you know you can you can have both as a treat it's fine (laughs) it's like speaking of dated memes that's still one of my favorites but it's like not to bring it back and like scratch my own back or pat myself on the back but it's kind of like with with, what i make um i write all of the dystopian narrative for the podcast and also as as the showrunner um, I have to communicate constantly with our DM because I'm a player, so there's a lot that I can't know, but I still have to communicate, like, these are the beats we're trying to hit because everything is supposed to be integrated with each other. And, like, there's some deep and heavy topics we touch base on, but if somebody listening is just like, haha, there's a guy with a poop bucket on his ass, like, I don't care, like, enjoy it for however you want to enjoy it, as long as no one's listening to it and they're like, J-Mark's a racist, homophobic asshole, like, I don't, I don't give a shit, <laughs> like, just enjoy <laughs> Yeah, this is, uh, this, this also complicates, like, what you were saying earlier about Joanne Rowling being a turf. Yeah. Uh, you know, when someone creates something and it turns out the creator is a terrible person, but the media still means something to you, uh, it's, it's, it's a very complicated relationship that you then have to cultivate with that media. It was true of Orson Scott Card. As well oh my god that's still the most confusing yeah. thing in the world how this guy built a book series based on understanding and going past xenophobia and is also yeah. a huge racist that i'm like yeah you're the opposite your your books are the opposite of lovecraft how does that work yeah. <laughs> oh, pe- people contain multitudes man and like not not always in a good way ah, that, yeah like it was just like the fact that he wrote the pulp the polar opposite of his beliefs like the whole point to the spoiler alert i guess for anybody who hasn't read ender's game like a 30 something year old book but like the the fact that the whole point of the ending to the first ender's game of the series i guess it's just ender's game was him being like oh these aliens we've been murdering are people too and then it just coming out of the woodwork by the way, Orson Scott Card's hella racist was just like... Also a huge homophobe. I don't know if that... <laughs> also a huge homophobe. Yeah, also yeah. Uh, deeply, deeply homophobic. Has been, I don't remember the specific remarks, but has made uh, deeply disturbing remarks about queer people. Uh, yeah, that was that was rough. That and there's was... so much gay subtext! Yeah. The relationship between Ender and Bean was gay as fuck! Like, what? <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's weird because with... Uh, with jk rowling it's her approach is more difficult to grapple with because it's more insidious she insists that she's coming at it from like a place of love and understanding i just want to you know look out for i love trans youth and i just want them to be protected and also like dumbledore is gay good representation it's not it's not good representation but no um yeah it's so um it's so much more difficult to explain to people why this is worse. You know, people who are not involved in conversations about, like, queer people in media or about transphobia specifically will say, like, oh, well, she's not, like, a mean lady. She's just concerned, you know? She just yeah. has valid concerns. Um, and that's not, yeah. that's not what is happening. And it just, it takes an hour to explain to somebody like why everything that she's doing is she is obfuscating her ingrained transphobia with this socially acceptable, like saccharine language, but the core of it is still very, very insidious and it's more palatable to people because she has cloaked it in all of this sort of like humming and hawing and and 
distracting terminology and words that sound like concern when they fundamentally are not. She's she's just being sneakier about and I don't even think yeah, that she's yeah. consciously aware of it. I think that she No, thinks, she's not. I think she thinks she's being a good person and she is deeply resistant to people examining her position and confronting her on it. I think the most important thing with situations like that, and this is something, mind you, I haven't come to this headspace until 2020. Like, like the whole quarantine and pandemic was a real, like, I can sit and mope and continue being this angry person, um, or I can try to grow past that and cultivate compassion again. Nope. I am in no way validating the harm that J.K. Rowling has caused, but I'm also understanding that, like, I think what she really needs is somebody to, like, sit down with her and get her to understand that the way she's perceiving the situation is from her own traumas. Because I I read her manifesto or whatever you want to call it, and, like, she's very much a woman who has been severely traumatized and Mm -hmm. is incapable of perceiving the world past that trauma lens. And... I think the only way, and and who said? I think Sarah Silverman said a great thing about this, because she's actually really good friends with somebody who you, who used to be, who was a former member of the neo-Nazi party or a Klan member, and it was essentially like one of the dangers of of quote unquote cancel culture. Not to say that there isn't a social responsibility to making sure that people don't get a platform to spread vitriol and hate, but with cancel culture being so intense as it is now we're not providing these these people who need to change and grow a place where they can do that a place where they can cultivate their own growth and so like it's great that we're not we're we're taking efforts to make sure they don't have a platform to spread their hate but we also need to create a space for them to be like oh shit i was wrong i need to grow as a human being and learn and like that's the only way we're going to be better as a society is if we make room for that but it's also very difficult and challenging and understandable that people from the from the oppressed group that is being mistreated doesn't want to do that and i completely get that as an asian american so like yeah <laughs> it's, yeah. it's all complicated i 100 percent agree with you there are two wolves inside me throwback meme uh there are two wolves inside <laughs> me and one of them is like suffer not a nazi to live and the other one is like the only way that we can de-radicalize people is through compassion and interpersonal yeah. relationships and patient understanding. And it's very, the the struggle that I have is that I, I am not a social activist and I don't have like the mental and emotional energy to de-radicalize someone. So it's, it's very challenging for me because I, I, know that there are a lot of people who can be reasoned with and who can come back from positions of prejudice and who can learn um but i'm not a good person to cultivate that i I don't i don't have the sort of temperament and the patience to do that so like man bless people who who can like approach someone who is a neo-nazi and talk them back into being a sensible person with compassion because i know it's possible yeah i've seen it happen. well it's like that god what's his name that one guy who literally has clan robe like he's a black man and he has a bunch of clan robes that he keeps as trophies from people he's converted yeah from being clans members uh, what's his name i know who you're talking about i don't remember his name either but i remember reading daryl 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 davis yeah, he single-handedly convinced 200 Ku Klux Klan members to give up their robes. Bless Daryl Davis, um, and bless anyone. Bless Daryl Davis. Bless anyone yeah. like this guy who can who can approach people with that kind of patience and compassion. There is an interesting thing about the internet too, and I don't like, I don't fully believe that cancel culture is a thing in the way that certain people especially conservatives keep insisting it's a thing. I think. Uh, <laughs> oh no, Doctor Seuss. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cancel culture uh, is not the the thing that conservatives think it is, but no. there's definitely a problem with uh, dogpiling people who have made a simple, honest mistake and not allowing them yes. to 
just move past that because we are all but mortals. We are all mere yeah. people on the internet who sometimes say dumb shit, who sometimes he say who, cringy shit. He who casts, he who casts the first stone. There we go. We brought it back to religion, yeah. full circle. Like, what up? Like, le- legitimately, Evan, you don't know this about me, but I'm sure you probably assumed I grew up a military brat. Like, I used to be homophobic. And it wasn't the the aggressive, like, when people think homophobia. It was, like, the J.K. Rowling homophobia, where I just, like, didn't get it, but I was well-meaning. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, it, took, it took people being, like, it took people, like, kind enough and patient enough to explain to me why that was problematic, why that was hurtful. Granted, like, this was back when I was in middle school so obviously yeah. like I, this wasn't a, a recent this wasn't a within recent years things folks but like uh, b- before the internet was huge and i could just read shit online about it but like yeah like people grow and they learn and they interpret the world through the environments they grew up in um there's this really great quote i saw online where it was like the the first thought you had is how you were conditioned and the second thought you had is who you really are and it's until you're able to like make that second thought your first thought like that's where where growth happens essentially oh yeah so um so like yeah that that's that's how we encourage people to grow and i mean it's different with certain situations right like the whole gina carano uh cara dune thing where like she's had multiple chances and has been approached multiple times by like colleagues and friends who've been like Yo, this is why this is problematic. Oh, and yeah. then we had to she had, down. she had months to, to tone it down. She had months to like rethink to that learn. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And now she's making a movie with Ben Shapiro. Oh, so boy. clearly, like, she's currently lost, and I hope that she won't be lost forever. But that's just the reality of the situation. Um But yeah, to bring it I, I think that's why to bring it to bring it back to the topic of your podcast, um that that's why things like fan fiction is so important also. Is that the the people who write those fan fictions and the people whose fan fictions like blow up in the pop culture space go on to validate the need for these diverse representations to exist in mainstream media um because if enough fans are like shipping moriarty and sherlock oh, well then boy. obviously i had i had um then eventually we'll we'll have like more content of like brand new characters who are kind of exploring like gay relationships and stuff like that yeah i uh i also was uh raised catholic and was mega conservative until i went to college i was like super like anti-feminist i was like never outright homophobic but i kind of had some like ingrained homophobic ideas which is deeply ironic because i'm a big big fat queer now but there's so much in our culture that is inescapable that is not really directly any modern person's fault and uh i think we need to acknowledge that like there's things things people are gonna say that are problematic but that were said with the best of intentions and those people just those people just need a little bit of room they just need a little bit of room to figure some stuff out. They need to not be dogpiled on Twitter. Please don't don't dogpile people on Twitter. Yeah, that and just like there there's a big thing in in Buddhism of the idea of attachment, right? And I think that with the advent of the internet and with education, it's also extremely important. Um I, I think that for a lot of cultural identities or um sexual and gender identities, there's this huge attachment to words and language to the point that sometimes it can be harmful i like, i big agree yeah uh, with especially yeah, with like, like this person with like micro labels <laughs> in the queer community like don't get me wrong oh my god there's so many yeah if you if that if that helps you like if that helps you process your feelings and if it makes yeah. you feel included that's fine like you can you can drill down into into your own micro labels but there's also there's a lot of limitation inherent in micro labeling yourself because yeah. all people are changeable and fluid all people's sexuality and gender and identity and sense of self and sense of the world all of this is very changeable and it's normal and it is it is human for you to change as a person over time it's not bad so don't don't let that box you in and also don't 
expect other people necessarily to find the same labels and concepts comforting that you find comforting. I, I personally really don't like to uh, apply a lot of labels to myself, and I don't like when people try to do it to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also the, just the sense of, like, don't let it keep you from being your whole essence, which is, like, human mm -hmm. and existing. And not to say, like, this is... A lot of people hear that sometimes come from a lot of right-wing media or whatever, where they're like, we're all human, we're all one, and that can be very dismissive, and mm -hmm. I understand and respect that. But what I mean to say is that, like, yes, I am Asian-American um, as my identity. Sure, I'm cis, I think. I don't know. Like, gender's weird. But, like, my whole thing is just, like, if I eventually label myself in differently or in anything, that doesn't change or invalidate my existence. And, like, to fully express myself as, like, I am Asian-American, this is J-Mark, would be so limiting to to what the world has to offer me. And so, like, having these labels and these micro-labels and, like, what have you, like, sometimes people just fuck up. And so if, if I solely, like, identify, like, I, I'm Filipino, and someone goes, you're Japanese, and I get really pissy about it. And I'm like, well, you're wrong. But if they're pushing, sure. But if it was just, like, a simple mistake, which as a Filipino man, people have called me many races other than Filipino. Like, pick pick your battles, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, I like let's let's find things that are worthwhile as opposed to letting our 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 anger seep into every aspect of our lives. Yeah, is what I'm trying to say. Um, also, uh, every individual human person experiences the world in a way that is different from every other individual human mm. person. So there is never going to be any label, like whether it is to do with your sexuality or to do with your uh, racial or ethnic identity. There's never going to be any label that is truly all-encompassing to who you are. There's always going to be like a smaller category and a smaller category and a smaller category that you fit into um, to the point where, you know, you, the only label that accurately describes who you are is just like you as a person. Like your, your whole experience of the world is fundamentally different from someone who shares uh, 50 of the same labels as you. So just don't worry about it. Don't, just don't <laughs> just don't get too don't get don't spend too much mental energy on that, maybe. Yeah. Spend the appropriate live, amount, appropriate amount of mental energy. <laughs> live, live your best life and be kind, be kind to, to each other and write, write some good slash fic because that shit <laughs> like is amazing. I just want people to make whatever makes them happy and create spaces for other people to do the same, I think is my like i think that's why fan fiction is beautiful is it's a great medium for people to practice and also a great way for people to look back at things they wrote and feel deeply embarrassed about themselves yeah um i don't think i've ever heard of anybody who made it in mainstream media who used to write fan fiction who went i'm proud of this thing i made maybe uh, that's not true maybe the woman who wrote 50 shades of gray i think she's pretty proud of the fan fiction she made look uh, but... good for her honestly i don't want to get Yo, too she deep made into, that i don't want to she... get too deep into that because like of course there's complexities there and like yes there's problematic stuff in 50 shades of gray but i also feel like uh the pile-on of hate for this woman comes primarily from the fact that she wrote a fan fiction about a thing that teenage girls liked and everyone hates teenage girls and she yeah. got derided for liking that, and then she got derided for liking sexy stuff, and then she got derided for being a woman who who dare make money. So, um... Hey, at least it was age-appropriate. It's not like this... Oh, okay, I want you to have me back on an episode just so we could talk about why vampires always need to be in high school. Yeah, like, <laughs> if I was 100 like, years old, I would never go near a high school again. Like that, I, <laughs> I would at least choose like college yeah. like at least college maybe because like obviously you got money like at some point being hundreds of years old you invested in stocks and made some bank so like just fucking just fucking go to college and drink like drink and just do a but and join a, like some varsity teams and shit like why high school who woke up and was like i'm gonna be a friend like i'm graduating from high school today i'm gonna be a freshman tomorrow like no yeah what high as somebody who was a high school kid, 
High school kids suck, dude. Like, don't do that to yourself. Yeah, high school was a dark time for me. I would never go back. I would not do it. Uh, although, I guess, I don't know, maybe all vampires are jocks. Like, the principal of my high school definitely just became a high school principal so he could continue living in high school forever. Uh, so maybe maybe all vampires are jocks. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't think they are. I don't think that's the vibe. I, but... Uh. During their heydays. Although I will say, they would be very successful jocks. Sure, yeah. I'm sure they have exceptional physical skills. Uh, even if even <laughs> if that's not a vampire power in a specific universe, they've just been around a long time. You know, they probably have good hand-eye coordination. And uh, they don't... It makes me... <laughs> they don't age, so... I really want to write... Like, because I've, I've been getting um, more into digital art. Which, by the way, if you need a logo for this, I can also design that for you if you want to commission. I just do a lot of things now because of this podcast. I've picked up a lot of skills. Plug, plug, um, plug, plug. <laughs> yeah, you know. But if you, um, <laughs> but I, re- a part of me really wants to write a uh, a webtoon series about a vampire who's just a fucking weeb. Like he became a vampire. He did the whole like I'm gonna suck your blood. I'm gonna have like a harem of people. And then he discovered anime, and it was all downhill from there. And like all he wants. Is to, is to live his life just, like, consuming just a bunch of anime, but he can't because all the other vampires is like, dude, you gotta do shit. Like, this sounds like a, <laughs> what are you doing with your life? This sounds like an episode of What We Do in the Shadows. I don't know if you watched that show. I have not. Is it good? Oh, it's great. It's very funny. It's it's lampooning the idea of vampirism. It's It, it was a movie. Ooh. It was a movie first, and then they made a show, and uh, it's it was... Written by and star the the movie was written by and starring uh, uh, Taika Waititi, I believe. Did oh shit! I do need to watch that. I love it? Taika. I I may be I may be like misspeaking. I don't remember if he wrote it or directed it. Anyway, he was heavily involved in it, and it's hilarious. And then they made a spinoff show with different characters, and I don't think he's involved directly in that one, uh, except like one cameo he made. But it. It's great. It's a really exceptional, very funny show. Ooh, I'm going to add that to my list. I've heard really good things about it. I know, I think Jemaine from Flight of the Concords is in it. Yes. That's like one of the vampires, right? Yeah. And like, I enjoy him very much. So I might have to add that, I'll add that to the list and then I'll write some fan fiction about it or something. Yeah. Just kidding. I don't have time to write fan fiction. <laughs> I don't, I barely have time to like. Write original fiction. I don't think I, <laughs> to write original fiction. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap us up here pretty soon, but a thing I'm trying to get in the habit of asking is, do you have any, uh, fan fiction, whether it was recent or in, you know, at some point in your fandom history that you have fond memory of and would like to recommend? Oh man, I don't, I don't have the name anymore. It is going to be a hair fan fiction. I don't remember the name, but if someone could find it, let me know. So... I got into Harry Potter fan fiction um, because, like anybody who grew up with the books, had to wait for more books, so I needed more content c- to consume. And I remember reading one where he ended up having like a sister, and the sister had the uh, like the sister and he both got animagi powers, and I thought it was the sickest shit in the world. It probably doesn't play up to today. I read this in like middle school, um, between books five and six. Mm. Um, but that's my most recent memory of fan fiction I've consumed, I would say. Except the ones for your own thing. Except the ones for my own thing, which are all really wonderful, and I love uh, my listeners. Um, could I tell people about my own thing, like just where they yeah. can find it and all that stuff? Yeah, definitely. Cool, I just want to make sure. So yeah, hi. Um, first off, thank you again for having me. I know that this is your fan fiction podcast, but we've covered a lot of content on that's it. okay like a lot of different that, topics and subjects that's how we do yeah <laughs> that's, that's how we do up here um but yes yeah, so uh once again i am j mark i am the showrunner for tabletop for the end of the world we are the only dual narrative uh, actual play podcast in the world featuring a dungeons and dragons game played within the context of a radio drama um, it talks about uh, in America 500 years in the future where capitalism has won and the entire country is run by one corporation. Um, and Amazon. The, yeah, and the affluent and influential are all plugged in to a virtual reality and anybody who couldn't afford those high fees were kicked out and forced to live in an irradiated uh, wasteland full of mutated monsters and mechs. And um, the four main characters 
are unplugged survivors who discover a game of Dungeons and Dragons, but then end up fighting a revolution on the side as well. I guess they fight a revolution and then play Dungeons and Dragons on the side is a more accurate <laughs> statement. Um, it's really weird, and it came from my need to play D&D again, but I had to come up with a gimmick to, to get my friends to get into it. Um, so that's why it exists now. Uh, we've been going for two years, and we're starting to see traction. We're up to, like, uh, 1,000 downloads a month, which is which used to be, like, 25 every two months, which is really cool. And we were recently endorsed by Ginny D and the cosplayer Hanari Solomon. So, like, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're getting up there. So it's a good time to jump in. Uh, I don't have a good sign-off yet. The, the the tagline the title and the sign off are the same thing and it's just that fanfiction is good actually do you have a do you have a sign off do you have a, a propose something J Mark just throw something in here ooh okay um fiction is for the fans oh okay I like it we're gonna use that yeah. one now <laughs> yeah right like when you think about it like nobody makes things in a vacuum and the only way things grow is for fans so like yeah Fan fiction is good, and fiction's for the fans. I dig it. Fan fiction is good, actually, is part of Where They May Radio, a small family of podcasters just doing our best. You can keep up with Fanfiction is Good actually on Twitter at fanficisgoodpod, and you can reach Evan via email at fanficisgood at gmail.com. For bonus content, including bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash WTM radio. Where they may radio.